0: today uh, in Romans chapter 8 we're going to be reading a sizable chunk of scripture from this majestic chapter of God's Word Romans chapter 8 and I'm going to begin reading at verse 15 and go to verse 30 so uh, I don't know if it'll be on the screen or if uh, you have it in your in your Bibles but um, Romans chapter 8. And beginning at verse 15. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons, by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit Himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with Him, in order that we may also be glorified with Him. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with a glory that is to be revealed to us. Because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. We know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. For those who are called according to His purpose. For those whom He foreknew, He also predestined to be conformed to the image of His Son, in order that He might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those whom He predestined, He also called. And those whom He called he also justified, and those whom he justified, he also glorified. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we come before you in the name of Jesus Christ, your Son, and ask for the help of the Holy Spirit to understand and to apply the Word that you have revealed to us. Lord, we pray for grace this morning, that a miracle would happen, that we would actually be transformed by the renewing of our minds as we meditate and consider the truth that you have presented to us. Help us to reflect upon it in such a way that we're built up and encouraged in our trust for you, that you may be glorified. In Jesus' name, amen. Peggy Noonan. I'm not sure if you're familiar with that name. Peggy Noonan was a speechwriter for President Reagan. She is currently an author. Uh, I was just checking a little bit about her. Turns out she's born the same year I was, uh, 1950. Uh, anyway, she's a, a very good writer and she wrote uh, commemorating the 75th anniversary of Fortune magazine uh, in answering a question Uh, Why do we feel so bad when we have it so good? And this is what she wrote. She said, quote, I think we've lost the old knowledge that happiness is overrated, that in a way life is overrated. We've lost somehow a sense of mystery about us, our purpose, our meaning, our role. Our ancestors believed in two worlds and understood this world to be the one that is solitary, poor, nasty, brutish, and short. We are the first generation of man that actually expected to find happiness here on earth. And our search for happiness has left us unhappy. The reason for this unhappiness? If you do not believe in another higher world, if you believe only in the flat material world around you... If you believe that this is your only chance at happiness, then you are not disappointed when this world doesn't give a good measure of its riches. You are despairing. I think that's insightful. Is this all there is? Even the best of this? Is that all there is? Well the larger context of the passage that we read a moment ago is of course Paul's majestic letter to the Christians at Rome in which he presents in a more systematic way than he does any of his in, than any of in, in any of his other letters uh, the, the gospel of salvation the 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 message of the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ and how it how it works out in our lives the the depth of God's love in in saving us in, in all its dimensions. And and the overall thrust of chapter 8 in particular is to present the security of the children of God. I mean, it begins with, there therefore is no condemnation now to those that are in Christ Jesus. And a chapter ends up with saying, what can possibly separate us from the love of God? And he goes through a whole list and there's nothing that can separate us from it. He wants to encourage us that we are secure in him. But in the passage that we just read, um, you know, there's there's a lot of talk about suffering. Um, And and you may have noticed, if if it was up on the screen, I didn't turn around to look, but I I put a couple of uh, phrases in in bold letters. Uh, For instance, in verse 15, uh, Paul says, You have received, past tense, the spirit of adoption as sons, by which we cry, Abba Father, you have received the adoption as sons. And then in verse 30, 23, rather, it says, as we wait eagerly for adoption as sons. Adoption as sons is the act of God whereby He has made us His children. When we are justified by God, part of that justification is adoption. He takes us from the courtroom into his family room, and we become children of God. And he's saying that that is past, we've received adoption, but also that it's future. That we are to eagerly await our adoption as sons. So our status as God's children, our status as adopted children of God is both present and future. And then he makes this interesting statement in verse 18. He says, I consider, he's reflecting now, he says, I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed. So it's like you have a a balance, the sufferings of this present time, but then he considers the glory that will be revealed and he says, it's like nothing. By comparison. And when we think, when we consider our salvation and our lives in this present world, we are immediately confronted with the fact of suffering. If you just think a little bit, it's a tough world. And we find opposition when we seek to follow our Lord Jesus. Opposition from the world outside us. And then there's also opposition from the world inside us, from our flesh. Now, I believe that Paul's words here can help us, if we consider what he's saying, can help us persevere, and actually even more than persevere, in the face of suffering in a fallen world. So my point this morning is, uh, if, if you take notes, is that patient hope in the gospel will enable us to see present suffering in the light of future glory. Present suffering in the light of future glory, patient hope. I think somebody a little earlier spoke about hope, how important hope is. Wow, hope is a big, big deal. And to have hope for the future, especially in the sense where present sufferings can oppress us, that's a big thing. So there are three things that emerge from this passage of Scripture from verse 18. The reality of present suffering. That's the first thing. The second thing is the necessity of patient hope found in verse 25. And then finally, the third thing, the certainty, the certainty of future glory, which is in verse 18, 23, and 30. And we'll take them in order. First of all, the reality of present suffering, Romans eight eighteen. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed to us now for paul to say that our sufferings are not worth comparing uh it almost sounds like he's minimizing suffering or denying the reality of suffering uh, but of course he wishes to do no such thing he's just trying to set up now a contrast that is striking Because this present age is characterized by suffering. And that's indicated in a word also that's repeated in this passage a few times. And that word is groaning. Did you notice that word groaning? And we'll come back to it. Uh, See, ever since the fall, suffering has been present in God's creation. Suffering affects all of us to varying degrees at various times. It's always there. Sometimes it spikes and you go, ouch! And sometimes the ouch can last a long, long time. Specific sufferings of a chronic nature. But the fact is we all live in this fallen world and that sin affects all of us and that we are ourselves all sinners. Christians, of course, are forgiven sinners, but sinners nonetheless. And the problem of sin, of fallenness, is directly or indirectly the cause of all suffering and death. Now, we usually reserve that word suffering for those situations when difficulties are severe. But to varying degrees, as I said, it's the condition of us all. Uh, Just for for the moment, just think about um, your life and how rare it is when everything, every aspect of your life, how rare it is when every aspect of your life is going well. Has that ever happened? Has everything ever been going well at the same? There always seems to be something that's amiss. I mean, if things are well with the marriage, there's a problem with the kids. If both the marriage and the kids are doing well, there's a problem on the job. If all that's going well, the extended family is a mess, or the car breaks down, or finally you're, you get sick, or, you know, whatever whatever it's just you know golfers know this only too well if your driving is good your putting stinks if your chipping is okay your approach shots are lousy every once in a while a golfer hits on all six and it's working everything is working that's happened to me about twice in my life and still i go back to play golf again and again something is ever either broken or about to break and uh, but but here what paul's talking about in all likelihood Paul, what he has most in mind is the suffering of persecution. Uh, that's the suffering that we encounter when we live for Christ in a fallen world. Uh, and, and for the Roman Christians that he's writing to, uh, this is prescient because in a few years they're going to face some of the most severe uh, persecutions the church ever faced under the uh, the, the insane emperor Nero, uh, if you know any of the things that he did in, in persecuting the church. But even though that is probably in the forefront of his mind, suffering is a big general word. And it can include physical suffering, persecution suffering, spiritual su- relational sufferings. You know, the child grows older and goes astray. The spouse grows colder and drifts away. And these things are real sufferings. Some of you, even right now, are facing acute physical suffering with chronic illness. Or what might be even worse, someone you dearly love is facing that. You hear those words, he's got cancer. It's just, oh my goodness. And then there's the suffering of bereavement, which if you have not experienced, you will. Don Carson wrote that all we have to do is live long enough and we will be bereaved. There are those that are here today, even sitting here right now, who know only too well what I'm talking about. And in addition to that, a big difference today is with the rapid transmission of information, we can be aware of suffering on the other side of the world in an instant and some of us unwisely take in so much information about the sufferings of others more than we can possibly handle ourselves, so we can become overwhelmed or we can become cold. I mean, we can know about wildfire fires in California, but you know am I, does, does that mean I have to totally empathize with that? But, but what about the floods in India? And I mean, you have to be careful. Uh, With regard to your intake of information, uh, that's what's different about the world today. The rapid transmission of news that can affect us. It's really, really a difficult thing that our ancestors, I don't think, had to deal with. Anyway, the point is, whether you are presently suffering acutely or not, everybody in this fallen world, suffers and everybody will suffer. And what does God have to say about this state of affairs? Well, He has a lot to say right in this very text. And it gets at it, I think, with that word groaning. He says in verse 22 that creation, creation right now, is groaning. And in verse 23, not just creation, but even we, us Those of us who have the first fruits of the Spirit, the Holy Spirit within us, we groan inwardly. And then a few verses later, even the Holy Spirit groans in His prayers for us. Groanings too deep for words. So, surprisingly, we find that we're not the only ones that are suffering. The whole creation... And even the Lord itself. The creation, by the way, interestingly, we read, was subjected by God to futility, to decay, to deterioration or corruption. Not by its own choice, but it's been subjected to that futility by the will of the one who subjected it in hope that creation itself will be liberated from its bondage to decay and brought into the glorious liberty of the children of God. But right now, creation groans as a result of the fall of man. There are thorns and thistles that infest the ground. Because of that fall, death entered the picture, not just for men. All things die, animals die, plants die. And there are the natural calamities, hurricanes, earthquakes, tornadoes, droughts, wildfires. And then you add to that all the sufferings caused by sin, like wars and pollution. It's very grim. Where's the hope here? There's no hope. Looks terrible, doesn't it? Creation was affected by the fall. Creation groans. And like I said, it's not only creation, it's we ourselves. We groan inwardly. So our bodies, as John Stott says, carry a double burden, both frailty and flesh. We groan because our physical bodies are frail. They're subject to aging, disease, death. And our bodies are the place where our sinful natures still reside. And they can flame out and flare up and cause us difficulty. Present sufferings, groaning, decay, deterioration. It's happening in creation, and it's happening in you, and it's happening in me. So, this present age is characterized by suffering. I, th- I think I've made that point. Let's get, <laughs> let's get on to something else. Yeah. Though this present age is characterized by suffering, there is great reason to hope. Indeed, we must hope. We must hope. Number two, the necessity of patient hope, Romans 8.25. To help us hope, uh, there are some things we need to realize. First of all, our suffering is not in isolation. It's not solitary. Uh, We've got friends. It's like we're in the same human condition. Uh, But even more than that, Romans 8.17 says uh, that we suffer with him. We have a great high priest who can be touched With the feeling of our infirmity. We are united with Christ. That little preposition with. God with us. The Hebrew word for with is im, and the suffix us is anu. Im anu el. Immanuel. El is the word for God. Immanuel. God with us. Christ is with us in our sufferings. So not only are we with him in suffering, that should be an encouragement, but there's another little clue here about the kind of sufferings that uh, this world is going through and we're going through and it's it's the, the the image of childbirth. It says that the whole creation is now groaning as In the pains of childbirth. Well, childbirth pain is pain with a purpose. Moms, right? I've been present at the birth of each of my four children. And I've watched the pain. A little person comes out of a small opening. That's very painful. Sometimes a little person isn't all that little either. Ow! But you know what? There's a joy that comes. So if the whole creation is groaning right now as if in the pains of childbirth, that means that something good is coming. And that's what Paul says about our present sufferings, which are painful and which at times are agonizingly acute. He says they're actually not worth comparing with something, with a glory that is actually going to be revealed Because something's coming at the far end of sufferings that are going to, one day, believe it or not, make the sufferings seem as nothing by comparison. So we have to listen to this and take heart. And remember, Paul knew a little bit about suffering. He was not trying to minimize suffering at all. He was stoned. He was beaten with rods. He was beaten with lashes. He was shipwrecked. He was cold, at times starving in constant peril. And on and on it went. And yet, in 2 Corinthians, he writes about them as these momentary light afflictions are actually working for us, a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. There you have it again, affliction, suffering, and glory. And he says they're actually working for us, producing something. While we look not at the things that are seen, but at the things that are not seen. Because the things that are seen are temporal, but the things that are not seen are eternal. So in other words, if your eyes are on this world and if you're looking for happiness in this world, you'll probably attain a certain degree of it, but you're going to be fooled if you think that's all that it is. It's not. That's what Peggy Noonan was saying. If that is the limit of your search, your end is to be terribly disappointed. There is a hope, but it's a hope that we look forward to. And it's not going to be found ultimately in this world. What is it that we hope for? Number three, the certainty of future glory. So in verses 17 and 18 and 23 and 30, you have that little word glory. And there is this kind of a a nexus, a connection in Scripture. You see it especially in 1 Peter, the book of 1 Peter, where suffering is connected with glory. And you see it in Paul right here. You can see it in the humility and the exaltation of Christ. His life on earth was a life of humiliation and suffering. But after life comes that new life, that resurrection life. And that is exactly the kind of life that we are destined to and that we will participate in. When we patiently hope in the gospel of Jesus Christ, it will enable us to see our present sufferings in the light of future glory. Verse 18 says it's a glory that will be revealed. Okay. It's a glory of God, verse 17. But it's also a glory that He shares with us. We share in that glory with Him. It's what we are to be eagerly waiting for, in verse 23. And Paul relates it to our adoption as sons, and then in the same verse calls it the redemption of our bodies. It's really the hope of the resurrection. It's going to be glorious. And he speaks of it as being something so certain that when we get to the end of this passage uh, that I read there in verse 30, he talks about the glory in the past tense as if it's already happened. Well, what, what is it that's going on here? All right. Um, we are looking forward to our adoption as sons. And the whole creation, by the way, is also anticipating this. The Phillips Version, which is a paraphrase, says that the whole creation is standing on tiptoe, eagerly awaiting our adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. See, I, I, last time I was here a couple weeks ago, we, we talked about the body in 1 Corinthians 6. And, and our bodies right now are bodies of humiliation. They are not bodies that we're supposed to glory in. They're actually here to humble us. Okay? But they will one day say we die, we are planted in the earth, and just like an acorn becomes an oak tree, basically the same dna but if you look at the acorn and if you look at the oak tree say is that the same thing well paul in first corinthians 15 uses that same kind of analogy about it being planted and then what it is in glory there's going to be a redemption of our bodies that has not yet taken place but it will And this is what is called the hope of the resurrection. This is a real hope. It's a living hope. It's what Christians hope for. But the problem is in our culture, we have so much and are so wealthy and so many things to distract us that we really don't think about these things too much. We're, we're, We're really taken up with the here and now. And and, and and Christians can fall into this, too, and they're taken up with, uh, you know, gaining political power or having prosperity and health and wealth and, and all kinds of other things. And, and they miss the point that, that a lot of our forebearers who really understood the brevity of life and the nearness of death when the world was nasty, brutish, and short, you know. and, and But we don't think about these things that much. Well, we need to. We need to. And God has a good way of doing that. I'm, I'm experiencing it because I'm getting older. And as I'm getting older, and things are falling apart, and I realize that I'm going to die, it makes me think about what happens after that. Well, whether you're young or old, it's good to think about these things. Because there is a future glory that is coming. And right now... Though our bodies are called lowly bodies, bodies of humiliation, when Christ returns, they will be transformed and made like unto His glorious body. Philippians 3.20 At that time, at that moment of resurrection, the completion of our adoption will have taken place and a new glorified body will come. There will be no more suffering, no more crime, no more war And not only will we be transformed, but creation will be transformed as well. Because it will be a new heavens and a new earth wherein will dwell righteousness. A regenerated cosmos. This is the certainty of future glory. This is a hope that Christians and only Christians can have. It's a hope that is certain and eternal it's a hope that because Jesus died and rose, that all who died in Christ will also rise and live eternally with Him in bodies that are redeemed and glorified as well as souls. Uh, over the past year, I, I've gone a number of times to uh, to visit with a, uh, a woman who uh, is in her 50s and she... She, she's she's bedfast. She can't even get out of the little apartment that she's in because her body has been so racked with different ailments. And uh, the last time I went to be with her, we, we, we talked about this. Uh, she's a wonderful Christian woman who has suffered greatly, but she has this living faith in God. And I enjoy being with her because even though she groans, she doesn't grumble. You know the difference? We groan, but it says here we groan inwardly. It doesn't mean you can't groan outwardly a little bit, but if your outward groaning becomes grumbling, that's not good. We don't want to be grumblers, but we are groaners. The Holy Spirit groans too. Creation groans. We groan. Well, it's not grumble. That's called complaining, and that doesn't bless God. Well, she's not a groaner in terms of grumbling. And so when we're together, I'm encouraged at the way she just drinks in the truth of God's Word. Well, there's one other little aspect of this that, you know, I've been thinking about a bit. And I shared it with her, and uh, I'd like to share with you as well. It's this this phrase... When Paul says, I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed. Remember that balance? Sufferings, glory. And that he says, we groan inwardly as we wait eagerly. Is there any more that we can say about that? Like we know Paul's not minimizing suffering. We wouldn't want to do that. I don't want to do that. But he's maximizing something else. And I think there's a little clue in Paul's testimony in 2 Corinthians 12. Now, I'm going to read a little of these words. You can turn there if you want. 2 Corinthians 12 is an interesting little passage of Scripture. Paul, as you may know, has a problem with the Corinthians. They're they're despising him Because he's not as outwardly impressive as some of the other uh, so-called apostles were. People that really weren't apostles at all. But remember, Paul fathered this church. They're his children. He wants to help them. But he's having a hard time with them. And they were doing a lot of boasting. They were very impressed with things like visions and revelations. Have you ever met Christians who the first thing they want to tell you is their vision or their revelation. Oh, let me tell you, I had this dream and this vision. this And I'm not sure if they want to impress you with their spirituality or what. But the Corinthians were like this. And so Paul says in 2 Corinthians 12, he says, I must go on boasting, though there's nothing to be gained by it. I will go on to visions and revelations of the Lord. I know a man... In Christ, who 14 years ago was caught up to the third heaven, whether in the body or out of the body, I do not know, God knows. And I know that this man was caught up into paradise, whether in the body or out of the body, I do not know, God knows. And he heard things that cannot be told, which man may not utter. On behalf of this man I will boast, but on my own behalf I will not boast except of my weaknesses. Though if I should wish to boast, I would not be a fool, for I would be speaking the truth. But I refrain from it so that no one may think more of me than he sees in me or hears from me. So, to keep me from being too elated by the surpassing greatness of the revelations, a thorn was given me in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to harass me, to keep me from being too elated." All right, see what's going on here? He doesn't want to boast, but he's going to, quote, boast because they're into boasting. And then he begins to tell this strange story about a man that he knows that a number of years ago was caught up to the third heaven, was caught up to paradise, and saw things and heard things that were unlawful or perhaps even unable for him to utter. And then he says... But to keep me from being too elated, there was given me a thorn in the flesh. And so we realize, oh, he's not talking about another man. He's talking about himself, right? He's, Paul's talking about himself here. He goes through all these circumlocutions because of this problem he's got with the Corinthians. He's not wanting to boast, but he's going, okay, let me tell you about dreams. But he doesn't tell us what the dreams and revelations are. He just says, they were so amazing and so wonderful that I was given a thorn in the flesh a messenger of Satan why? to keep me from being too elated Paul what did you see? can't tell you but boy it was good and if I didn't have this thorn in the flesh I'd be so elated that I don't know fill in the blanks you know there are other indications of this in Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 7 Paul talks about the exceeding riches of God's grace and kindness toward us that he has planned and so Paul uses this kind of lavish language so when he sees when he says, I consider that the sufferings of this present time aren't worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed, could he be referring to things, visions, and revelations that he received, that he intimated to the Corinthians? I think it's I think it's likely. Now it was unlawful for him to speak of them. But he at least can say this. Those sufferings that you're going through right now? Yeah, they may be pretty rough. Well, let me tell you, they're not worth comparing with the glory that is in store for you and for me. You see what's going on here? We do groan inwardly, but we should wait eagerly. The pains that you and I and this world are experiencing are the pains of childbirth. They are not meaningless sufferings. Can we say conclusively what they are? No. But the indication is that we will not be disappointed. So how should this affect you and me? Well, Paul talks about it there in terms of hope. He says, it's in this hope that you were saved. But hope that is seen is no hope at all. Who hopes for what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it patiently. And not only that, the Spirit of God is given to help us. The Spirit of God also groans in intercession for us with words that can't be uttered. And then we have those wonderful words that you all know. God's actually working all things together for good for those who love Him, who are called according to His purpose. Because He's done some wonderful things. He's justified those whom he's called and the ones that he's justified he's also glorified past tense oh wait a minute we're not glorified yet i know that it's true it's it's like a prophetic past tense that he's using it's something that's so certain that paul can write about it as if it's past your destiny my friend is glory where the memory of the sufferings of this world will pale in comparison to the glory that awaits us. So when we, amen, when we consider our our time here on this earth, and uh, I, I like Paul, do not intend to minimize the very real sufferings that you may be going through right now, but that In some way, all of us are. We just need to realize this. Uh, In a matter of time, uh, if you haven't already, you will suffer loss. Loss of your health, the loss of a loved one, loss of life. I will, you will, because we are mortal. But there is a time coming when this mortal will put on immortality, when this perishable will put on the imperishable, and then will come to pass the saying that is written, Death, where is your sting? Death, where is your victory? Our Lord Jesus Christ has gone before us. He died and has now risen from the dead. And if you're a Christian, you believe that He rose from the dead. But not just for Himself. He did it for you and for me. He's the first fruits. The rest of the harvest will follow. So... I must think like Paul. You must think like, we gotta take Paul's word for it here. That the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing to the glory that is to be revealed in us. Uh, in closing, I just wanted to uh, make a comment uh, to your church. I know you're going through some, some you know, serious challenges now, and they can be very, very difficult. Some of you are affected personally by this, and uh, my heart goes out to you. I want you to know that as a church, this is true. As individual Christians, but as a church, the sufferings right now, God's got good days ahead, I believe, and certainly the long-range prospects are excellent. Uh, I just also wanted to mention one thing, too. Uh, Don uh, DeVries will be here next week. Uh, I I wanted you to know, because I I know I've been here speaking regularly uh, about my relationship with Don. Uh, I've known Don for over 20 years. Don is a close personal friend. You may not know this, though. Uh, Don is my boss, or he was, until he uh, resigned his position at Covenant Life Church. So uh, Don was... A good boss. He got the best out of me. Uh, the reason he was my boss is because he has managerial skills and administrative abilities that uh, far exceed. You know, we all have our different gifts and abilities. And, and just like that, Don's strong in some ways, not as strong in others. But uh, but he's my friend. I love him. And he was my boss. And if you love your boss, that's saying quite a lot, especially in these days when bosses are, do nasty things to their employees sometimes. <laughs> wasn't that way with Don. My friends, listen, uh, I've enjoyed being with you. Uh, I, I, I don't know when I'll be with you again, but I want you to know that I have you on my heart, and I, I think the people of this church are wonderful, and I pray for you regularly. Let's close in prayer as well. Our Heavenly Father, Father, you are the one to whom we appeal. You're the one that we look to. You're the one that can help us. And, Lord, we are needy, all of us, Lord, as individuals, as families, as a church. We stand in the need of prayer. We stand in the need of your help. And we thank you for your grace and your mercy. Lord, I thank you for those who have labored long and hard at this church, all of the leaders here, the pastoral leaders who have labored over the years among the flock here, and the lay members who have labored and worked Everybody who has contributed in worship in prayer and song and set up and takedown in leading small groups and caring for the children as well Lord, you are kind and you're gracious and you take note of all of the efforts of your children I ask you to look down on this church and on every individual here Lord and in the midst of difficulty and trial and suffering, I pray that you would put a hope and a strength And Lord, yes, even a skip in the step of the people of this church to hope in you, the hope of glory, the hope that we have of our future redemption of our bodies, the resurrection hope as your children, as your adopted children. Let it be so, for we ask in Jesus' name, amen.